You're listening to a parish podcast, a reimagined faith community. It is only by faith that we can call this day good. The gospel writers record for us the moments of that Friday 2,000 years ago. Luke tells us that Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and people and said, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and find no basis of your charges against him. But they demanded that he be crucified. So a third time Pilate asked them, But for what crime? I have found nothing in him deserving death. I'm going to warn him to watch his step and let him go. But they kept at it. A shouting mob demanding that he be crucified. And finally they shouted him down. Pilate caved in and gave them what they wanted. He released the man thrown in prison for rioting and murder and gave them Jesus to do whatever they wanted. And as they led him off, they made Simon, a man from Cyrene, who had happened to be coming in from the countryside, they made him carry the cross behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed, along with women weeping. Two others, both criminals, were taken along with him for execution. And when they got to the place called Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill, they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And dividing up his clothes, they threw dice for them. The people stood there staring at Jesus, and the ringleaders made faces, taunting, he saved others. Let's see him save himself. The Messiah of God, ha, the chosen one, right. The soldiers also came up and poked fun at him, making a game of it. They toasted him with sour wine. So you're the king of the Jews, Save yourself, they shouted. Printed over him was a sign. This is the king of the Jews. Satire. One of the criminals hanging alongside cursed them. Some Messiah you are. Save yourself. Save us. But the other one made him shut up. Have you no fear of God? You're getting the same as him. We deserve this, but not he. He did nothing. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, don't worry, I will. Today you will join me in paradise. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark and darkness lasted three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtain split right down the middle. Jesus called loudly, Father, I place my life into your hands. Then he breathed his last. When the captain there saw what happened, he honored God. This man was innocent, a good man, and innocent. And all who'd come around as spectators to watch the show, when they saw what actually happened, were overcome with grief and headed home. And those who knew Jesus well, along with the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. We too stand at a distance, watching these things. A distance of about 2,000 years, 
We stand at a distance when we are unsure of what's going on. We stand at a distance when we're trying to get a bigger picture. We stand at a distance because we're scared. We're unsure. In awe. 2,000 years necessitates that we stand at a distance. It is by faith that we call days like this good. This day can only be good when the gift of time allows us to see in retrospect. But 2,000 years ago, this was not a good Friday. It doesn't need to be a reminder of how cruel and intolerable humanity can be. We're reminded of that every night on the evening news. We watch from a distance, but today we move in for a closer look. This is good because when we pick through the religious veneer, we find some beautiful old wood. You see, for many, the Easter story can only be read one way. Until. Until they experience it in a different way. What is it? Oh, the death of your Savior. The disappointment in God. The abrupt, rude awakening that happens when all of your plans die. Things began to unravel quickly in the previous days leading up to the crucifixion. The disciples have had, th- had hints through their internship with Jesus that this was coming. Jesus had told them. In fact, they weren't hints. They were blatant. But none of what they experienced was expected. All of it completely over their heads until this fateful week had passed. And once again, hindsight is twenty twenty. The disciples had put all of their faith in this one basket. All of their dreams and their hopes nailed to the cross with their friend and rabbi. They were terrified. They were disillusioned. They banked it all on this Messiah who was now being executed as a common criminal. Have you ever experienced a death like this? Where everything you hoped in, trusted in, believed in, nailed, crucified, and dead? You make plans, you build a life, and then suddenly everything changes and you're left wondering who's in charge? That's how these followers felt, the disciples, absolutely devastated. And after his death, Jesus' followers did what any self-respecting person would do. They hid. Scripture tells us they locked themselves in one of their homes. The rabbi is dead. The disciples are fearing that they may come after them next. So we find them. The disciples, Jesus' mother, Mary, his brothers, along with their friends, stuck between a rock and a hard place, having no idea that soon the rock will be rolled away. But it doesn't matter. They're stuck behind that rock, stuck between death and resurrection, stuck between Friday and Sunday. The ancient church had a word for this. It was called Holy Saturday. We don't speak much of it in modern times because it's a terrible spot, especially when you're not prepared for any other plan. And we all find ourselves on the other side of a death with no idea of what to do next. When we feel abandoned, hurt, disillusioned, we begin to go through the stages of grief, whether it's the death of a loved one, the death of a dream, the death of a job, a relationship, or of our faith. We grieve. And these days would have felt like weeks. We have the benefit of knowing the end of their story, but they did not. And I get it. As I read the Easter story, 
I realize I've been locked in that house with those very familiar characters, and I felt welcomed. It's easy for us to go from Good Friday to Easter Sunday and not spend time in the darkness of Holy Saturday. But this is an important time. Much of our life is spent stuck between death and resurrection. We die many times in this life in various ways. But how many of those deaths have led to resurrection? Here's a secret that they will soon learn. Here's a truth that needs to be discovered over and over again. There can be no resurrection without a death. No transformation without change. Stuck between Good Friday and Easter Sunday is a terrible place, but it's a necessary path that leads to wisdom and freedom. The only way to resurrection is through the dying. The only way to experience the new is by letting go of the old. This is where beautiful transformation happens. Not everybody gets this, or believes in it, or desires it. But farmers understand it. Those who overcome incredible adversity or tragedy, they get it. It seems there's a price for transformation. And that is why it has so much value, because it always comes with a cost. Pain and struggle desire to be a way of waking us up, stopping us in our tracks. Not only can struggle create a desire for change, but it creates an opportunity for it. And Jesus represents this in so many ways. Change your mind to a new way of thinking, he would preach over and over again. Those who crucified Jesus thought it would end a movement. Little did they know that instead it defined it. When you get on the other side of denial, it can be an empowering place. But we have trouble letting go of opinions, ideas, people, and experiences. We struggle with believing that anything better can lie ahead. That's what happens when you're stuck between Friday and Sunday. How can there be any life after this? We've forgotten a principle that even the earth knows. That unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never anything more than a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it will produce a harvest a hundredfold. Jesus said that in John chapter 12. He knows what he's talking about. So if you've ever been stuck between death and resurrection, you're in good company. If you've ever felt that God has died, disappointed you, or abandoned you, you are not alone. But if we can observe and learn this one truth from others, it could be this. Death is preparing us for the rebirth of something new. Does it do this for everyone? No. But it desires to. I believe that. But unfortunately, many experience their grief and stay there. Holding on, trying to resuscitate what was. I think Good Friday has come to remind me of this. The events that unfolded 2,000 years ago are bigger than the words they hold that hold it to paper. There isn't one way to tell this story. We have four gospel accounts, each one different. And within each account, we have a multitude of views. Read through them and count all the different ways people see Jesus. I challenge you. This story cannot be contained by one person's telling. It needs community to flesh it out. It needs both believers and seekers to speak of its beauty. It's way more intimate and personal. 
Something that the older you get, the longer you think about it, you realize the less you know and the more it can mean. I know it's crazy. It sounds nuts. I was recently speaking to with a room full of adults, and they were asking me to explain the Easter story to them. Many of them had heard it as, as children, but they never really understood it. I explained to them that I actually can't. It was something that even Jesus didn't explain to his disciples. Yeah, he told them it was coming, at least on three occasions. But it must be witnessed to understand. I could try and explain it to them, but I would rob them and fool myself. Good Friday is more than one person can experience or explain. So instead, I told them the story of Jesus, of his life, of his message. And then after I explained the details around his death, I asked them to tell me what they thought it could mean for them. Wow. It was amazing. I learned so much. Good Friday is a day we recognize God in our own suffering and in our struggles and that he chooses to be there. We recognize suffering and sacrifice and love in this story in ways that are uncomfortable for us to witness. But what do others see? This week I was speaking with one of you about how this is one of your favorite services of the year. I thought, wow, that is so amazing. You see, for me growing up, I hated Good Friday. I would pray during Passion Week for the chicken pox, for mumps, for any excuse not to have to go. I now know that we all experience this day from a variety of perspectives. We're all standing in different places in this story. The only thing that's the same is where Jesus places himself in this story and in our story. But let's consider, what does a person of extreme power see in the humility of God on a day like this? Is it uncomfortable? Is it ridiculous? Or a person of extreme powerlessness, homelessness, or hopelessness? What meaning would they pull from this day? What about the abused woman stuck in an abusive marriage? Does she find hope here? Or the sick child enduring chemotherapy in order, to, hoping for more time? Or what about their caregiver, tired, disillusioned? Maybe their own addiction began as a way to deal with someone else's pain. What about those chronically ill? What can this mean for them? For those struggling with mental health, the weight of isolation suffocating them, even without the diagnosis of COVID-19. I want to sit at their feet and have them tell me what this could mean for them. What about those separated from parents or spouses in this pandemic, hooked up to respirators in the care of overwhelmed doctors and nurses? Do either they or their grieving loved ones find anything here? What about those so disillusioned by the uncertainty of everything, the teachers, the students, those whose life and hope has been completely disrupted and derailed? The victims of the sex trade or the alcoholic who's just trying to cope with all the rejection they've experienced in their life or the sex offender in prison who's abused, who's a, who was abused for their entire adolescence and are so damaged that they only feel alive when they're perpetrating the same thing that happened to them. They are so broken and they know it. What about the person trapped by their dark thoughts or the one with too many secrets they no longer remember the truth or the bored those who cannot find their own way, those who have nothing to lose their life for, what could Good Friday mean for them? Or for me? Or for you? 
Would any of us find a need to see meaning in a day like this? Is that a safe assumption that we do? If we did, is it because we feel that we are sinners and are reminded that we've missed the mark? Is it that easy? Does that solve all our problems or just get us our ticket to heaven? Does the cross free us from the punishment of our wrongs? And do we really need to be punished for our failures or are we not already punished by them? Perhaps we have no right to talk about why others need God and merely it distracts us from our own possible understanding. Does Jesus dying on that cross merely save me from my failures and my shortcomings? Does it save me from God's wrath? And what kind of God is he if, if I need to be saved from him? And if Jesus paid a price for my sin, then is it really forgiveness or is it just a transaction? And what if, what if God is not cross? What if Jesus gave his life because of love? What if it is what he told us? What if we believed him? Without even having to fully understand it, we just believed him. That we can be forgiven because it's God's choice to make. And he loved us that much. And we are worthy of that love. Does that inspire me to do the same? Can I forgive like this? Can I sacrifice myself so that others can experience this kind of genuine love? Is that what I see in this old story? Is that what we've been witnessing in emergency rooms and hospitals all over the world over the last several years? Are we witnessing sacrificial love modeled perfectly in Jesus' actions, shouting to us that this is what God is like? I think this day offers us a choice. And as we remember the love that Jesus demonstrates through this act, we also remember the pain of not knowing what it could mean. We can either live in fear of losing all that we've known or be willing to let it go and be transformed by it. Learning instead to trust that something hasn't been buried, but planted. Now I can get bitter because of it or be changed by it. Here's the thing, both are uncomfortable, but only one has resurrection as an ending. <laughs>